Hello and welcome to this very special Sunday morning, which is Easter Sunday, the day when we stop to remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. This is truly a Sunday morning um, that changed everything. When we think about that weekend of Easter, the Sunday morning changed history. It changed everything we know forever. It was a very, very important Sunday morning. I want to start today by reading the Apostle Mark's account of what happened at that moment when they found that the tomb was empty. And I'm going to be reading from Mark 16, verses 1 to 6. It says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on that first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. This is one of uh, a number of gospel accounts of this moment after the death of Jesus, where they discover that Jesus didn't stay dead, but rose again in resurrection. This Easter weekend includes three main components, doesn't it? We celebrate on the Friday the death of Jesus on the cross. We think before that to the Thursday where he spent that time with his disciples. That's sometimes called the Monday Thursday. But then on the Friday, we stop and we think in this moment called Good Friday of when Jesus was judged for us, punished as us, crucified on a cross in our place. And we also know that we were crucified with him in that moment. So there's three important parts, the crucifixion. Then there was the burial. Remember, he borrowed the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. He didn't intend keeping it long. He borrowed it just for a few days, a couple of days. And he was buried in that tomb. And the world presumed him dead, this troublemaker, this Jesus who had caused riots in the streets of Jerusalem and beyond was now gone. Then to their surprise came Sunday morning when everything that he'd said about himself, being Messiah, the Son of God, rising from the dead on the third day, took place. And what they found when they looked for Jesus was just an empty tomb. Now, everything that happened over that weekend, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, were all key components, important parts of what Easter is about. Yet in many ways, we look to the resurrection as being the most important part. Now, let me just qualify that statement. If there'd been no resurrection, everything he'd achieved in the shedding of his blood, his death, his burial, would have been invalidated. Because it was the resurrection that actually demonstrated that the price that he'd made with the shedding of his blood had been accepted by the Father, that he was different to any other person who had claimed to be the Son of God, 
Because in that time, many people said they were the son of God. Many people were calling themselves Messiah. As today, there were many people um, parading themselves as the son of God or coming Messiah. Yet all of those stayed dead. Only one rose from the dead. And that was the true son of God, which was Jesus of Nazareth. Now, what do we need to understand about the cross? Well, obviously, we need to understand that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and not his own. When Jesus went to the cross on that Friday, he never went for his own sin. He was sinless. He was blameless. He'd done nothing wrong. He was born of a woman, Mary, but his true father was God. There was no sin, no corruption, no sin nature in him. He was, like John the Baptist said, a lamb without spot, the lamb who could take away the sin of the world. But what we see is he didn't take his sin to the cross. Rather, he took ours. He took the sin of a fallen humanity to the cross to make payment for it so that it could be removed. And in removing the sin, the blockage that stopped us having relationship with God would also be removed. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, He himself bore our sins. That's speaking of Jesus. He himself <clears throat> bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Often we speak about our wounds being healed and we speak about physical wounds or sicknesses we may experience. But also this includes the broken wound of having no relationship with God. That wound was healed. And suddenly the humanity that found its separation in Adam was rejoined back to the father of creation through Christ. Here's a good question. Who was it that put him on the cross? Maybe you've watched different shows that portray this Easter moment. And you could answer, it was the Romans, the Romans put him on the cross. Or maybe you could answer, it was angry people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. It was angry people that put Jesus on that cross and caused his blood to be shed in such a brutal way. Well, actually, in some ways you're right, but in other ways you're not. Because here's two other ways of thinking about who put Jesus on the cross. Number one, it was God. God gave his only beloved son to die on a cross to settle the debt of sin. God put his son, Jesus, that's how much God loves you and me. God put his own son on the cross. It was a plan. It wasn't a hijack. It was intended. God allowed his son, Jesus, to go to the cross for our sin. But another way of looking at it is all of us put him on the cross, didn't we? Because it was our sin, it was our trespass, it was our wrongdoing that he was making payment for. So number one, we understand it was a plan of God. God knew the only way he could redeem humanity back to himself was through this brutal demonstration of love. But also when we look to the cross and see Jesus on it, you know, like the thief on the cross that pleaded for salvation in his closing moments, he said of Jesus, Hey, he doesn't deserve to be here. He's done nothing wrong. When we look at Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago, 
That's a cry that should be in each of us. He didn't deserve to be there. We did. But he died in our place. He took our sin, our shame, our wrongdoing, everything that had separated us from God to the cross and made full payment for it with his blood. With his shed blood, he settled every debt that was on our lives. Let me read to you from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1 and verse 7. In him, that's Jesus, we have, not will have, we have, present tense, it's now. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance to the riches of God's grace. I love the way that that's put in the New Living Translation. It says, he is so rich in kindness and grace towards us that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and also at the same time forgave all of our sins. Isn't that a beautiful verse that again illuminates what Jesus was doing when he went to that cross 2,000 years ago on that Friday that we now to refer to as Good Friday. Now, here's some thoughts that we could add to that. We could not save ourselves from the debt of sin that had separated us from God. Nothing that we could do through good works, good performance, could make up for the bill or the debt that was on our lives. Only the blood of Jesus, the precious blood of Jesus, could settle that debt and satisfy the Father. So God provided that payment for our freedom through the death of his only beloved son. Why Jesus? Like we said, he's the only one that could die for a sinful people because he was the only person that was a sinless person. You see, a sinful person couldn't pay the debt of sinful people. It would take a sinless person to pay the debt of those separated by sin. Again, I love that moment where John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, sees Jesus coming, even before Jesus is in ministry. And John turns and he says to his disciples, there he is. Behold, the Lamb of God, the Lamb that God has provided, not to cover the sin of the world, but to remove the sin of the world. Why did he want to remove the sin of the world? Because it was sin that kept us separated and out of intimate relationship with him in a way that he desired with us. Now, it wasn't a surprise for Jesus. Jesus wasn't kidnapped. Jesus wasn't ambushed. Jesus wasn't dragged before Pilate, wondering, why is this happening to me? You know, sometimes when bad things or strange things happen to us, we're confused. I don't know why this is happening to me. No, Jesus knew exactly what was happening, why it was happening, and why it had to happen. He knew that he'd come to give his life a ransom for many. <clears throat> Listen to what Jesus is teaching his disciples. That just makes us aware of his full awareness. He says in Matthew 20, verses 18 to 19, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, speaking of himself, 
and they will deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Jesus had no confusion of what would happen at the cross because he came in the volume of the book. He knew all the prophecies of Isaiah. He knew everything that had been foretold in the Old Testament concerning how brutal this crucifixion would be on his life. Yet out of love for us, he willingly submitted his life to the Father's intentions and gave his life as a ransom to many. I love it that he knew that he would be flogged and mocked and crucified. But he also knew that on the third day, that Sunday morning, he would be raised. That's why some of his closing words were, Into your hands, Lord, I commit my spirit. He knew that he was placing his spirit, his eternal life, his eternal being in the hands of a father that would do what he said he would do. And that would be to raise him from the dead. Remember, it wasn't a miracle of resuscitation. It was a miracle of resurrection. Jesus wasn't resuscitated. He wasn't partially alive for three days in a tomb. He was completely dead. Why? To completely separate us from the old creation we once were, from the sins that once ruled over us. He had the miracle of resurrection on that third day. Now, his blood was shed on the cross but did it settle the debt of man? Actually, the answer is yes. But I just wanted to poise that question. How do we know that his blood was enough so that we can have a confidence in our salvation, an assurance regarding one day us too rising from the dead and spending eternity with God in his paradise? We can have a confidence that the blood that was shed 2,000 years ago was enough also that it satisfied the Father because of this component called resurrection. It was the resurrection of Jesus that was the evidence of sin debt settled. Remember, to satisfy the Father that sin had been paid for the blood of Jesus Christ, his only beloved son, was shed. How do we know that the blood that Jesus shed satisfied the Father's requirements for sin to be forgiven? Again, because of a resurrection. In many ways, the resurrection was like the invoice that was given that said to us, debt paid. If there'd been a if there had been a lack of resurrection, nothing that Jesus did at the cross would have been validated, which meant we would walk around life wondering, are we paid for? Do we belong to God? Has our sin been dealt with? But when Jesus gloriously rose from the dead on that third day, it was the invoice of the Father that the payment that was needed to pay for the sin of man had satisfied the Father. And now because the blood had satisfied the Father for the removal of sin, Christ was raised to newness of life. Now, think about an invoice for a moment. When you go into a shop 
and you want to buy something, <clears throat> you ask how much it is. The person who owns the shop says it's £40. Then you pay £40 without bartering. You pay £40 and he gives you the item. But then also he'll give you, I have one here, an invoice. And this invoice declares that the payment that was needed for the item desired has been fully paid. And this demonstrates that the item now belongs to you. We have the word of God and the resurrection of Christ as evidence that Jesus Christ shed his blood for all man, for all sin, for all time. That anyone who places faith in him can have an assurance of everlasting life. The resurrection of Jesus is so vitally important in our Easter celebrations. Paul taught of its importance to the Corinthians. There were some around at that time uh, among the Pharisee, the Hellenists, that didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in resurrection from the dead. So in teaching them, Paul demonstrated the trouble we're in if there is no resurrection, but also announced that there is indeed a resurrection. Let me read you these verses, because they're key verses when we think about the subject of resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 to 22. Remember, Paul is speaking to um, uh, an element of Jewish people who did not believe in resurrection. Paul says this, but if, it, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ himself has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith in him. More than that, we're found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified that God has raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. So if we're saying that Christ has been raised and he hasn't been raised, that makes us nothing more than liars, Paul was saying. Then in verse 16 he says this, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins as you were before. Also then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who have died already, gone before us, they're lost too. So you're lost, you're still in your sins. Those who have died that you hoped were in heaven, they're not in heaven either. What a horrible picture. If only for this we have hope in Christ, we're all most people to be pitied. Then in verse 20, he begins to change his tone. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. What does he mean by that? He was the first fruit of resurrection. And we are the fruit that will now follow him. Because he rose from the dead, so will we. For since death came through one man... The resurrection of the dead also comes through one man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all are now made alive. 
So again, Paul begins to bring us back to that thought of the death that we knew, the sin that we'd inherited, all came through natural birth in the first man, Adam. And if it took one man to disqualify the human race, it only takes one man to qualify the human race. Let me say that another way, because Adam was perfect before he sinned. It took one perfect man to disqualify the human race because all of the human race was in him. When he sinned, his sin became our sin. But if it took one man, one perfect man, to disqualify the human race, how many people does it take? How many perfect men does it take to qualify the human race? Well, there was only one other perfect man, and that was Jesus Christ. If all died in Adam, the good news of Easter is all can come back to life through placing their faith in the one man, the one perfect man, the second Adam, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, King of Kings. Why is this so important today? Well, there's many reasons, but here's my top three. If there was no resurrection, our sin is unsettled and our faith, though passionate, is useless. We would be no different to the sinners we were before. No, the blood was shed, accepted. The resurrection was the invoice or the validation of a perfect work completed. And from that, we have our confidence. This Easter, over 2,000 years later, we have a confidence of our salvation because it's based in the work of another, but also in heaven that awaits us because God promised it would. Number two, we have a confidence in our resurrection one day. That it says of Jesus that like a grain of wheat, he fell to the ground, singular, and died, yet rose again. Now, whenever you sow um, seed, it always comes back in harvest. When Jesus died and went into the ground, he went in as a single seed. Yet when he rose from the dead, he'd broken the soil for every person who would believe. He rose from the dead and so will we. He was the first fruit. We're the ones who will follow in that same example. Thanks be to his sacrifice. And finally, we could also have a confidence of experiencing the coming of the Holy Spirit. You know, 50 days after Passover comes Pentecost. And we'll be preaching that Pentecostal Sunday, a good Pentecostal message, because we really believe that when Jesus presented his perfect blood to the Father as payment for the sin of fallen man, and the Father was satisfied by the blood, his son was rose from the dead, seated at his right hand side, we know that Jesus dwelled on the earth for 50 days, showed himself to many. There were infallible proofs of his resurrection. But then he ascended, was seated at the right hand side of the father. And then because the blood had perfected an imperfect humanity, the Holy Spirit was sent to come and live in our hearts. Wow. How holy did the blood of Jesus make a fallen 
humanity. Holy enough that the Holy Spirit would now feel comfortable to come and live within our lives. Let's never stop preaching on the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. It washes away every sin. It makes holy again that which was unholy, makes righteous again those who were unrighteous, so that each person can receive not just the gift of salvation, but the gift of the Holy Spirit. It says that when Jesus presented his blood to the Father, the Father did what he promised, and he poured out his Spirit. And that's what we experience in what we know as Pentecost. Fifty days after Passover, the Spirit poured out. So today we can have confidence that our sins are forgiven. We can have confidence that we too will experience a resurrection. And we can have confidence that God did what he promised, gave his Holy Spirit, and today our lives are temples of the Holy Spirit. We did nothing to deserve it. We could not do anything to perfect it. It needed Jesus to do what he did over that Easter weekend, give his life to crucifixion, go to the grave and rise on the third day to newness of life. Thanks be to God. The good news that we have this Easter Sunday is he is risen. Jesus Christ didn't stay in the tomb on the third day by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was risen to newness of life, never to die again. And because he conquered death, we don't have to fear death either. The Lord bless you this Easter weekend. Keep on thinking about all the good things that God the Father did for you from nothing else than a motivation of love. God bless.